0: Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine here from SEAL Fit Headquarters in sunny Pennsylvania, California, and coming at you with our weekly podcast. And I'm fully totally stoked to have uh, Kirk Parsley, Dr. Kirk Parsley with me, who's a former SEAL and uh, teammate of mine. Kirk Parsley is a specialist in sleep, nutrition, recovery, and a whole bunch of things that are really important to all of us as athletes and warriors. So um, enjoy the show and get your pen and uh, pad ready because uh, we're going to learn a lot of things that may not be obvious to you. Before we start, I would also like to remind you that if you're listening to this on iTunes and you have not put your email into our email list, you're not on our email list, then go to sealfit.com and drop your email into the opt-in form there because that's how you're going to stay up to date on the latest TV episodes and podcasts and my blog and all that kind of stuff, as well as any offers that we release just to our uh, tribe. So it's, uh, it's a good idea to do that. All right. Hey, Kirk, great to hear from you. I'm stoked. It's, it's good catching up before this call and um, really nice to uh, know that you're really diving into trying to help people solve some of these problems or some of the issues they have in these areas of sleep, nutrition, supplements, hormonal balance, all that kind of stuff, which is just dizzying, you know, array of information out there and it's hard to know where to go.
1: Yeah, well thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to to chat to your community.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And any anything to do with the with the teams is something near and dear to me. So yeah, uh, always always happy to jump in.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of um a lot of spec ops candidates, uh, military athletes, first responders, you know, a bunch of folks of that ilk who are, you know, using SEAL fit or the mental toughness principles. Um and you know what, the I obviously the let's start with sleep. The challenges for sleep differ, you know, for a younger operator than it does for an older operator. But generally, you know, the bottom line is if you're not sleeping well every night, you know, you're seriously degrading your performance, aren't you? I mean, what's, give us some, do you have any like metrics on what happens when you don't get good sleep?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, You know the biggest what I what I just did my TED talk on, and the biggest obstacle that you run into with sleep is the same thing that you run into when you start trying to coach people on nutrition or exercise. The number one complaint: I don't have enough time. I can't do that with my schedule. So a huge part of it is just getting people to value sleep, and that's what I. That's literally what I spend most of my time doing. Once once they start drinking the Kool Aid and they buy into that idea, you know the. The results become obvious to them the the one you know the one caveat of sleep that you don 't have to deal with with just about any other kind of coaching is that there you know there's no subjective experience of sleep really right if you 're sleeping well, then you were asleep, and you don 't remember being asleep, so <laughs> if I coached you to sleep really well you don 't really know if i if you're successful or not, yeah, but you' can I, certainly it, feel it the next day, right? yeah, so you but you start it, feeling the benefits right. and you start seeing the benefits and so when I throw out to people it's like you know one night of short sleep decreases male male libido by 30%. Mm. And in a, sh- a short night of sleep is 6 hours say right about mm. 2 hours less than you need. And you can say uh, there's great data that you perform as though you have a blood alcohol level of a point of about 0.05. That's with you know being awake for about 18 hours. You stay up for a full night. You're performing at 0.08 to, point, or 0.08 to 0.1, which is mm-hmm. like being drunk. Um, your insulin sensitivity crashes. There was a great research article done with healthy young college students. Gave them short sleep four nights in a row. Did their blood work every day. By the fourth day, their blood work was consistent with an obese diabetic. Wow. And how many Americans sleep six hours a night? Yeah, quite a few, I imagine. Quite a few. And yeah. in fact, the average American sleeps 6.5 hours per night right now. Mm. And we know, uh, you know, the, there's day-to-day markers, like, uh, you know, what a lot of us think about, you know, when they we say, you know, even guys our age, right, they walk, they, they tell you, yeah, every time I walk in a room, I can't remember when I'm in, I walk back out, I just feel like I'm getting older, obviously, and I'm like, dude, you're 45 years old. That is not old. You should not be experiencing mental decline. Right. But what happens when you sleep deprived is your performance, your your working memory crashes, your willpower crashes, your insulin level spikes, your insulin sensitivity goes down. Yeah, uh, you know your you know your ability to use your prefrontal cortex, which tells you, hey, here's the consequence of of the action I'm about to take. Here's the most likely consequence. That goes away. You have an impaired frontal cortex. It looks a lot like ADHD, so Mm -hmm. cognitively you're screwed. It decreases (laughs) your endurance. It decreases your your single rep anaerobic power, Mm -hmm. uh, and it increases your risk of injury. I just did a, a really big adolescent lecture and had some great data that basically the difference between sleeping six hours a night and nine hours a night... It's about a fourfold increase of of uh, injuries in, in athletes. No um, and that you know, this was a, this was a young group, but you know most adolescent or most sleep research really is adolescent research because oh. it's mostly done on college students, which mm-hmm. still qualify there. But you know something that simple that people just don't people just don't think about it. and, and you've probably experienced that in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys that come in and work out at five am every day. You know, tend to be the guys that get injured more more right. often than the guys who re- really carve out the optimal time of the day for them to be working out. Right. Yeah. Right. That's amazing and kind of scary, right? I mean, that's, yeah.
0: If we're we're averaging six and a half hours of sleep, but we need you know seven and a half to nine. Right. Where do we go yeah. from here? Holy shit! I mean, that's 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 incredible.
1: Yeah. And, and it's just, and I say, that's, as I said earlier, that's my biggest challenge is right. I, I really have to get people to reprioritize their life and right. say, you know what, you might, you might miss, uh, being able to spend 30 minutes on Twitter or you might miss that television show that you like to watch at night or, you know, w- whatever that one thing is. Um, or you might actually have to stop work a little earlier than you want, which is the biggest problem with executives. Right. Um, but the evidence is overwhelming right. that you will perform better, so much better with right. the sleep that you'll make up for the extra time in bed. So if you, yeah. if you short yourself an hour of sleep so that you can get, do an hour worth of work uh, the right. next day, you lose about an hour and 15 minutes of efficiency. Right. So you're in the whole – 15 minutes and you're wrecking your body and then we know over time it's just ridiculous I mean over over sustained time of sleep deprivation like you know the numbers are just insane and I I Mm -hmm. won't try to remember them all off the top of my head but I mean <clears throat> unquestionably your risk for cancer is hugely mm-hmm. higher, mm-hmm. your risk of heart disease and stroke and of course any inflammatory disease and diabetes and mm-hmm. obesity and all of the things that everybody worries about and the biggest problems. Um, something a military study found is that uh, you're nine times, right, 900% more likely to commit suicide mm-hmm. if you're chronic, chronically sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's just like a no brainer. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. if it's that important and then something we found in the adolescent research is that almost every, uh, almost every child who becomes depressed or every adolescent who becomes depressed, you can, you could, you would be able to find their sleep deprivation before their depression started. Mm -hmm. Um, so is that cause and effect? Absolutely not, but Mm -hmm. it's such a strong correlation that it's definitely something you should be considering. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we're probably not going to change, you know, the society's patterns in our, in our beliefs around sleep overnight, but we can, um, guide those individuals who are motivated, right? (laughs) Right. Which is what we're doing in this call. So exactly. Let's just say you do have a wake up call, you know, maybe, um, you're just, you, you're just kind of like got chronic fatigue syndrome or you're utterly exhausted and um, you're starting to really fuck up. So yeah. what, what's the kind of first place to start? Do you need to get a blood test or you just kind of <coughs> stumble into your doctor and say, doc, I'm not sleeping? Or, you know, what, what's your experience with clients in terms of just the, what's the wake up call and, and where do you, what's the first thing that you ask them to do?
1: Yeah, so I al- I always start with labs, obviously, because my patients are coming to me in a physician relationship. Right. Uh, I don't think that's absolutely necessary. If if you want to do that, people could come to my website and and uh, which is supposed to launch this afternoon. So by the time this podcast Good. goes out, I would expect the um, it'll be up. And I'll have there's a list of the labs that I run and why I run them, and they can try to get their docs to do them if they want to mm-hmm. go that route. But you know the the first thing to do is just do all of the sleep hygiene stuff first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that means completely blacking out your bedroom. And that means, you know, like underneath the ship at night kind of black, right? Right, right. That, that type of absolute blackness. Um, you want to do you want to do that. You want to get rid of all the electronics in your room, so even if you even if there's no lights on them, you don't want you know, there's there's speculation about the possibility of electromagnetic frequency pulses waking people up. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that your bedroom's cool, uh, which is hard out here in you know in San Diego. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't have air conditioners, mm-hmm. but you know we know the ideal sleep temperature is 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which most people are not keeping their houses that cold.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you keep your room cold. You make your room totally dark. You decrease all uh, the light going into your eyes You know, at least a couple hours before bed. You quit working at least an hour before bed. Um, you have a glass of water for every alcoholic drink that you have and preferably mm-hmm. have no alcoholic drinks within a couple hours of bedtime. And you set your alarm clock twice. You set an alarm clock to tell you when to go to sleep. So that you don't go past that time. The number one thing is just like with exercise, people have intentions of, you know, they set the plan. I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock. But then at 10 o'clock, there's this, that one more tempting thing. I'm going to respond to this one more email. I'm going to do this one Mm -hmm. more thing. But you set yourself an alarm clock that says, I'm going to bed at 10. So at 9 o'clock, I stop everything. And my alarm Mm -hmm. clock goes off and reminds me. Hmm. And it could be on your phone, whatever, you know, and reminds me, hey, it's time to start the bedtime routine. And you start slowing down. You start relaxing. You take whatever. If you take supplements, you do all of that. You know, you get yourself, you know, you get yourself ready for bed. You make a ritual out of it. And then you just go to sleep. And then you get get as close to that eight-hour mark as you can. Um, and then you just see how you feel each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, if I can get people to sleep for two weeks, I don't ever have to convince them to sleep again. Mm-hmm. Because what what most people find once they sleep really well for a while, is that they forgot what it felt like to not be sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Uh, the research has shown, this is probably the most disturbing challenge. The research has shown when you when you take people who are well rested, which you usually have to well rest them first, so mm-hmm. you usually have to spend three weeks getting their sleep debt paid back. Mm-hmm. Then you take people who are really well rested and you shorten their sleep by two hours a night, and you do testing on them the next day. Any kind of testing, you know, depends on what you're interested in, and they'll do worse on that testing. But the first three days or so, they'll tell you that they did worse because. Mm-hmm they they know that they're tired and they'll say I'm really tired and I did worse right by day 3 or 4 most people feel like they've adapted. Hmm. Um, it's just like you know, one one beer, you say I probably shouldn't drive. Two beers, you say, yeah, I, I know I shouldn't drive. After four beers, somehow it becomes like a good idea to drive again. It's like <laughs> oh, I'm I'm fine, right? And it's the same kind of phenomenon. So your your self awareness is actually diminished by sleep deprivation, and mm-hmm. so you think you're doing fine. And it's not until you get sober again, it's to get rid of this sleep drunkness that you go, oh my God, I'm so much more clear. I'm so much more alert. I'm such a better driver. Like, um, you know, the accident, the traffic accident rate for uh, uh, high school kids, um, you know, because almost all high school kids are sleep deprived because mm-hmm. of their phase shift. Uh, mm-hmm. The traffic accidents, if you push start times back by one hour in a high school, which starts at eight thirty instead of the national average of seven thirty, you decrease uh, accidents by hundred traffic accidents by one hundred and sixty eight percent in a single year. So you know, uh, and there was this, another
0: study that came out just this week on um, sleep in schools, and so there seems to be a little bit of momentum to. Uh, push start dates a little bit later.
1: Yeah, there, there's actually, I, I don't know the name of them. I, I knew it a, a couple of months ago. I, I just recently learned about them. There's actually a DC lobbying group that's pushing this really hard. Okay. Uh, and they've, they've teamed up with a couple of university professors, sleep researchers, and they've done some pilot studies on schools. Uh, and the thing that really shocked everybody, they did it on some private schools. I, I think in Pennsylvania, they did 11 or 12 schools. They pushed their start time back. Uh, you know, The private schools had more flexibility. They pushed their starting times back and then they looked at m- markers like academic performance and disciplinary problems and absenteeism and illness and all that. And all of that stuff got better. Mm-hmm. But the thing that surprised them is out of the 11 or 12 schools they did this with, uh, all every single school and every single sport had the best record they had ever had. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I, that, I was even shocked by that. I mean, I thought, I thought, yes, it'll definitely improve, but to say, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong metric right there. Uh, and, and I don't know how much better was it one extra game, but who really cares? Right. It's better. Like, and that, that's your goal as an athlete is to be the best athlete you can be. Why wouldn't you do everything you can do? Right. Um, but, you know, we have this you know this frenetic world that tells our kids you need to take AP classes and learn the violin and to speak Chinese sure. and pl- play two sports <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you know write a you know do an internship in the White House if you want to go to the right. school of your choice. You know, um, so it, yeah, it's I mean, hard it's, it's hard to get parents to back off, and it's and it's even harder to get the parents to get their kids to back off
0: yeah right it's fascinating yeah because you're right it's a com- it's a complete myth. I mean if you could just slow them down and, and get to sleep and then narrow their focus on a few a few more important things, then their performance and their happiness and their success overall success would go through the roof
1: yeah and, and interesting and we we know that from the seal teams right', right. It's like we don't try to be the best at everything right we try to be really good. At, at everything like we want to be proficient in everything but there's a few areas that we're going to make sure we are the best in the world at and right. we're going to that's where we're going to focus our time. Exactly. And and our kids need to do the same thing. We need to get rid of this uh and you know the adults too. We need to get rid of this movie myth that you know the Donald Trump uh claims of sleeping 4 hours a night and you know performing at his peak. And I was like ah, there's That's rock. Know, if, if that happens, you're the only guy, right? Like a, every time we do clinical research, it never, it never comes, it never comes out to be true. And I'm, I'm not calling anybody a liar, but I'm just saying we haven't found any evidence of that in the laboratory. You know, there are there are a few people. I mean, there obviously is a standard deviation. Not everybody needs exactly the same amount of sleep, and not everybody needs the same amount of sleep every night. But seven and a half hours is a really firm, really firm. Um, uh, number for uh, anybody over 25, mm-hmm. and uh, especially males, because males finish development later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but any any teenager in early 20-something, it's closer to nine hours a night.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, you know yoga's for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kikoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So, go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book. Because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book, as well as a video for recovery. So, prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self mastering by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. ya. So, here's a question now. Obviously, you know, just not taking the time or having the time is probably the biggest culprit. But right. there, there are other culprits, obviously, for not getting sleep. Right. Uh, nutrition is probably a good one. Maybe yep. uh, lack of exercise or, or too much exercise is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and these things leading to probably the biggest, you know, kind of the hidden culprit being hor- hormonal imbalance, right? Right. And so can you, let's talk about how uh, nutrition, exercise, affect, yeah. you know, hormones and how that affects sleep.
1: Yeah. All right. So that that's that's a great path to go down actually. I like that. Um so you know, we'll start with nutrition and because nutrition is really the uh conceptually the simplest thing right. to talk about right, right there. All right, so there's conflicting evidence and I'm sorry, there's just too many research papers out there for me to read them all and analyze them all and sure. tell tell you which one is is the most accurate. There's there's conflicting opinions on whether you should eat more fat before bed or more protein before bed or more glucose or more sugar before bed, um, carbohydrates before bed. Uh, you know, so that's that that's an argument I won't weigh in on. Other mm-hmm. than to say, uh, carbohydrates affect insulin more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Insulin is insulin is the master hormone. My suspicion is that carbohydrates are probably the worst thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you have acid reflux and that's causing you a lot of problems, fats are probably a really bad thing for you. Mm-hmm. Proteins probably the safest thing because it has some insulin effect and it has a pretty long window of nutritional density that lasts a pretty good time. So that's probably what I'll say for you know before bed, which is a common question I get: Should I eat before bed? How long before bed? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you you should eat to where you're really you're really your GI system is really comfortable by the time you go to bed. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I'll leave that. And I think proteins and fats would be would, the area to hedge towards carbohydrates, not, mm-hmm. not so much. Right. Um, the you know, the Now, the other side of nutrition is the inflammatory aspect of nutrition. Mm-hmm. So you start talking about the inflammatory aspects of nutrition, you get into all of the typical antigens that you hear about. Things like gluten, things like casein, things about like uh, lactose for the um, you know, lactose intolerance, uh, prolamines, uh, different different antigens in the foods, and so that you know my advice there again is uh, not a, not a straight narrow path. I've, I work very very individually with my patients depending on what they like to eat and what their preferences are and what their performance goals are. Mm-hmm. But basically, a, a low inflammatory diet, which is something. In the realm of a uh, you know a paleo type of diet template, mm-hmm. uh, not saying everybody has to go on the paleo diet, but to get rid of the things that inflame your body, you get rid of the stress response. Inflammation right. is a stress response. Right. If your body's feeling stress, whether from your mind or from your GI tract or from your overexercised muscles, it manifests itself in the same sleep problems. Right, and then so then to go back to. Uh, The stress issues, just the cognitive things. So uh, there is like there is no exact recipe for being stressed. We all have a different stress threshold. Uh, But if you're living your life in such a way that it's causing you to be anxious and stressed and, you know, have a lot of anxiety and all these types of things, you're running at a higher adrenaline level, um, adrenal level. Right. So you're Mm -hmm. secreting more cortisol more epinephrine, more norepinephrine, Mm -hmm. like all of these things, um, are wake promoting hormones, right? Mm -hmm. So these are, these are the things that are ordinarily keeping us more and more awake with our environment. As our environment becomes more intense, we have more of these. And if they go all the way to the highest point they can go, we call that fight or flight, right? Right. The exact opposite happens when you sleep, when you go into deep sleep, you have no, almost no adrenal hormones and that's when you're secreting growth hormone and that's when you're secreting testosterone and that's when you're repairing your damaged muscles and that's mm-hmm. when you're uh, your heavily exercised muscles, I should say. And then you're repairing damages to tendons and ligaments, connective tissue. You're fighting off infections. All of that stuff is happening in really deep sleep with almost no stress hormones. Mm-hmm. So If you're running around stressed you screwed yourself because uh, when you try to go to sleep, even if you do sleep eight hours, your time spent in deep sleep won't be the same. Right. Uh, so that has to be balanced. Um, exercise, good and bad. You talked about overtraining. Again, overtraining looks almost just like um, the excessive adrenal stress because that's that's where you get your reserves, right? Mm-hmm. When you're do, when you're doing CrossFit, uh, when you, you know when you're doing something like Fight Gone Bad, you know, the last. Uh, the last two rounds of that are you're running off of hundred percent adrenals, right? Mm-hmm. Like your your muscle fuel is gone. Like you're mm-hmm. just you're cranking this off of adrenaline. You do this routinely, you do this excessively, you do you do all this overtraining and probably distance runners and crossfitters, I would say, are the two biggest categories of problems with this. Um they have this chronically inflamed state which looks just like a chronically stressed state mm-hmm. physiologically and you run into all the same problems. Mm-hmm. Now the flip side of that is that an appropriate amount of exercise is really good for sleep. Right, um, and by appropriate, it just means that you aren't pushing yourself to where you're so exhausted that you can't that you know you, you your body can't recover and you're in this chronic stress state, and you're not going so soft that you're not really building up any sleep pressure. When you when you exercise, you know. I'm sure you know you break down Mm -hmm. uh, the ATP, right? And ATP goes down to ADP, and eventually it just becomes adenosine. Mm -hmm. And adenosine builds up in your brain. Mm -hmm. And the more adenosine in your brain, the higher the sleep pressure. And this Mm -hmm. is different than the circadian rhythm thing. Mm -hmm. This is actually shutting down your neocortex, like the big brain that makes you smart. Mm -hmm. It's actually telling that thing. Hey, just shut up, shut down, shut up, quit thinking about stuff. We need to sleep. (laughs) Uh, And if you don't build up the adenosine, then you don't, you know, that's one of the natural things to help push you to sleep. Right. Uh, And then it makes it easier to have excessive stress hormones because you don't need as much stress hormone now to keep your brain going because you don't have any adenosine slowing it down.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So how do we
0: know what is the right amount of exercise? I mean, most people kind of have a sense of what's the right amount of food to eat because your body tells you. Yeah. Um, but what about exercise? You know, How do you well, know if you're over-fatigued? Is it just the feeling of being over-fatigued and not being able to sleep, like cortisol racing through your system at night? or?
1: Well, so there, there's a couple of ways to do that. Um I lectured at, at Paleo FX, and I saw a lecture there from a guy named Jim Laird. Yeah. Um, you, you know Jim? Yeah. yeah big sure. trainer. And he had – he, he had a really great slide for it. Uh, you know, he had this, this guy that he had been working with, who was a little, a little bit, a little bit sweaty and a little red and you, he just looked a little fatigued. And then he had another you know, picture with, uh, you know, the typical kind of CrossFit scene with everybody laying on the floor <laughs> and, and a puddle of their own sweat panting with their eyes closed. And he's like, right, this is too much. <laughs> you know, you can do this occasionally. If you do this every day, you are going to break. Right. Um, so there's there's a little bit of a common sense test in there, uh, mm-hmm. but what I would tell people is to be uh, to be fastidious or with tracking your your workouts. Mm-hmm. If your performance uh, if your performance gets worse uh, from your previous workout, and you know you and you know you pushed yourself right, so you didn't slack off on your workout. You went in there, you did a hard workout, uh, you gave it all you have. If you don't get better the next time you do that workout you're probably overtraining. You're almost certainly overtraining unless mm-hmm. you know, there's an infection going on or obviously something like that. Mm-hmm. But all other things being equal, uh, you should be getting better. And, and either that can be measured by how quickly you recover, that can be measured by how much time it takes you, it can be measured by how much power you put out or how, you know, how much weight you lift, uh, whatever your metrics are, whatever you're doing. But you should be getting better every workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, squeezing out one more rep, Doing it a second faster, averaging a lower heart rate, recovering from your faster. Heart rate variability would be, I would say, the most scientific, user friendly kind of thing that you could do. Mm-hmm. So you can go f- you can go to the full extreme and work with somebody like me and pull all your lab markers, and we can test you while we can test how much lactate is building up in your muscles while you're exercising. And you can do like you can get into all this, your know, super crazy, uh, finessed kind of um, yeah. workouts. But something that's available to anybody, you know, get yourself a you know, a jawbone or a Fitbit or something, mm-hmm. tracks data on yourself. You know, look at the correlations between the days you have really good workouts and you feel really good and how much you sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you want to take that to the next level, get, you know, get a heart rate variability uh, monitor. I think there's apps on iPhones now Mm -hmm. for it. And, you know, if your heart rate variability is, you know, is high, then you aren't well rested. Mm. Uh, So if you see three or four high days in a row, you're overtraining. Mm hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Assuming that you started with some pretty good numbers. Right. Right. So, yeah. So you've done the mindfulness training, you've done relaxation techniques, you've, you know, you've gotten, you've you've dialed in your life to where you think you're doing the right thing. You're pretty close to the right thing. Mm -hmm. Start tracking that heart rate variability. And if you get worse all through the week and then you take the weekends off and then Monday your heart rate variability is back again, you know, back, back down again, then, you know, that's where, that's where you know that you're overtraining, and I would I'd would say that's the most user friendly thing that I would say is scientific enough to hang your hat on it and say I'm ninety percent sure I'm overtraining at this point. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely have noticed, you know, when I when I got into CrossFit, you know, and I was doing those high intensity metabolic conditioning wads five days a week, that that definitely led to, you know, overtraining syndrome and burnout, and so you know, variety is the spice of life, right? It's exactly. okay, okay to do those a couple times a week, maybe three on one week. Yeah. You know, if you're tra- yeah. f- training up for the CrossFit Games, you know, ramp them up and then go with the games, but then back down after that. But, uh, you know, I yeah. find a good variety between strength training, you know, which is much more slow using that, you, know, you know, that different energy pathway. Uh, yep. And then endurance training, and then that kind of in-between high-intensity interval training. Just balance right. those and ebb and flow with them. Works really well
1: yeah and and the more fit you become uh the more you know the more you know the more h i t you do the better you'll you know the more frequently you'll be able to do it to it to a certain point sure. right, right. Exactly. um and if you really really really' if you're really dialed in you know hormonally metabolically um rest wise stress wise you can probably get away you know with three High, you know, highly intense you know, periods per week. Right. Um, but again, I would only do that. Like you're saying, if you're peaking for an event and and one of the, you know, one of, I think the misunderstood concepts of, of CrossFit is that these guys are really never peaking. I mean, the, a few of them are shooting for CrossFit games, but most of them are trying to go in there and PR every day, right. uh, or, or every week. And it's just, right. the world just doesn't work like that, you know? Right. Um, So, but what I found with my clients is that, you know, if I'm starting with a really, really out of shape guy, like I, I insist that they do nothing but walk for Mm -hmm. a couple of months, right? Like just, I want you to walk from here to there and, and, you know, and we're going to get this much walking in and then you can walk faster and then you can walk with a weight vest or add some Mm -hmm. hills in your walk if you want. And that, you got to get that baseline. If you're not there, like you're... There's no sense in doing any kind of high intensity thing, right. uh, and then you then you add one day of high intensity training, and uh, is it John Little and Mark McGruff or is I think McGruff McGuff, uh, a doc that wrote a mm-hmm. Body by Science, who they they talk about the you know, the research they've done with high intensity training, and they're like the vast majority of professionals uh, that you know don't sort of have a job around athleticism or fitness the vast majority of those people can only handle one intense period a week like one intense training day a week mm-hmm. and then they can do some really slow stuff they can do one day they can do some skill stuff they can do some moderately intense, uh, sure. mod- moderately intense aerobic stuff and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know mix it up um but it takes people in their and i think in their train in their book i think they said uh and, and i might be misquoting this but i want to say that it was somewhere probably around a year for most of the people they worked with before they could go up to two two high intensity workouts a week interesting. Um, and that and that's people that are taking it pretty seriously you know that right. they're they're kind of shaping a large part of their schedule and their life around fitness
0: mm-hmm. yeah interesting so you know we've we've kind of been going for a little while here and i, I don't want to go for um, too much longer because i know you got things to do and i we want to save something for next time, right? But yeah, let, and we and we don't want to bore everybody. I'm not bored, man. I could I could talk about this stuff all day. long. The it's listeners fast, are just anyway. dropping off. Exactly. Like, We're every down time I
1: every time I throw a, throw out a chemical <laughs> name, you're, you're losing ten. We're down to one listener. That's yeah. me, Kirk. Sorry. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about supplements. Uh, just yeah. just give me the you know the down and dirty on supplements. What what helps us sleep? I know melatonin. I take like a little melatonin cocktail and and something called um, nighttime recovery and i'm i'm waiting for your sleep cocktail which has been forever so you can tell yeah. us about that but what should we be doing uh, if we need a little bit of boost at night
1: yeah so you know so what i uh you know my my favorite thing to do with supplements is to not take any yeah, right, right. Uh, so take as few as possible uh, there's reality uh, though and there 's ideal and there 's reality, so how how good your diet is uh, determines if you need anything else. but if you just want to talk about sleep, you, know, you you look at things that lower adrenal function right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all the reasons we talked about earlier, but if you low, if you want to lower your adrenal function the 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 main way that that happens what what creates that circadian rhythm that people know about this up and down ebb and flow kind of tidal looking thing with adrenal function. Um, melatonin is like the end product for that, right? So Mm -hmm. melatonin shuts down adrenal function, but like any hormone, uh, which melatonin is a hormone, even though it's solar of the counter, uh, any hormone that, that you take, your body's going to quit making Mm -hmm. and anything that you take excessively, your body's going to quit responding to it. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if I give you 500 milligrams of testosterone every week, like you're going to quit making testosterone and your body's going to quit responding to testosterone, uh, you know, to where you might as well only be on 100 milligrams a week. Mm-hmm. Melatonin's the same thing. So I like to keep people at a really low dose from the time that you're, uh, from the time the sun starts going down until the time the sun starts coming up in sort of a hunter gatherer world without external lights and electricity and all that. Your brain will produce about 300 micrograms or one third of a milligram uh, mm-hmm. over that entire period of time. Uh, so if you go and take a five milligram melatonin, you know you do the math that You're 15 times higher than you should be, mm-hmm. and it's all coming sort of right now, uh, and that's going to shut down your your sensitivity to it, and it's going to shut down your um, your production of it. So uh, melatonin's good, but keep it low. You know, sustained release is better. You can get that from compounding pharmacies and you can get a sustained release capsule that releases you know 2 or 300 micrograms over 12 hours and you mm-hmm. take that a few hours before bed that works great vitamin D3 you have to have vitamin D3 in order to make melatonin and then so if you if you are vitamin D3 deficient and magnesium deficient Either or you won't be able to make enough melatonin on your own, mm-hmm. uh, which will make you dependent upon the supplement. Mm. Um, so that that can that can be handled somewhat through uh, nutritional things. You, you know, you can look at really serotonin promoting foods mm-hmm. uh, will increase melatonin because melatonin is is made from serotonin. Mm. And w- and one of the things that happens that I didn't really talk about is when when you're uh, when you're running around with excessive adrenal function and. And you aren't sleeping well, and your body's trying to shut down your adrenals for really deep sleep at night. Mm-hmm. It'll steal your serotonin to be able to make more melatonin to get you in a deeper sleep. Hmm. But then, what you know happens when people have really low serotonin? They become depressed, right. Right? right? And they become moody. And now you become lethargic, and now you don't want to work out, and now, and now you become worried and anxious, and now you're having a hard time sleeping for other reasons. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, look, you know, look into serotonin serotonin promoting foods but it's really just kind of common sense it's the same stuff that's good for everything else you know that you know there's more specific ones certain greens have more promoting effects for that and then you know if, if that doesn't work it's worth looking into deficiencies you know it's worth looking into um uh, you know, some, maybe a B12 deficiency or folate deficiency, or if a woman, you know, iron deficiency, uh, some of those types of things will also n- not only affect the neurotransmitters, but they're also affecting the inflammatory stuff that we talked about that gets in the way as well. Right. And, you know, that's the, you know, that's the 30,000 foot view, which is sure. where I'd stick with your guys. Right. Uh, and then if they want to really geek out and say, well, I want to, I want to do more I mean, there's, you know, there's an endless number of supplements that you can add in the morning to raise adrenal function, and you can add in the evening to lower adrenal function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they can get expensive and laborious, yeah. but uh, that, you know, I, I would just start with the simple things: magnesium, vitamin D three, and a touch of uh, melatonin if you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well,
0: uh, blood work will indicate what you're deficient in, right? With. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. So, just you know, go see a good functional medicine doctor who's going to l- look at you from a health optimization standpoint, as opposed to a disease standpoint. You right, know, right. Uh, most Western doctors, you know, if it falls between uh, three hundred and forty thousand, uh, and that's the normal range, then then they don't care where it's at in that range, because um, mm-hmm. they're looking for disease. Uh, but if you go to a good functional medicine doctor, a naturopath, or something, they'll they'll look at. You know, what is the optimal level of this for your for you, your age and your group? And, mm-hmm. and really what I try to do with my patients is I, I, I like to work with them until their their lab printouts, if I gave them to another doctor, would tell me they think that guy's 25 years old. Right. Uh, so that's about what I shoot for kind of with everything. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. All so, right. So, you know, people are going to want to learn more. You mentioned earlier, your website is launching hopefully today. Yes, this afternoon is the right. plan. So yep. what's the, what's the
1: URL on that? It's just docparsley.com.
0: Doc Par- D O C or D R? Yeah, doc
1: dot D-O-C.
0: P-A- com. Docparsley Yep. And uh, so yeah, go check that out, folks. Um, I'm sure Doc will have a ton of great information up there. You probably have a blog, right? That you'll be writing. Uh,
1: yeah, it, it's it's a little weak right now, you know. But it, mm-hmm. you got to start somewhere. Of so yeah, uh, you know, you could you could probably spend half an hour in there reading, and then they. You probably would have read everything on there, so. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've linked over some other podcasts, and sure. uh, yeah, with your permission, I'll link these podcasts over as well.
0: Absolutely,
1: and, yeah. And um, and I've you know well, m- whenever my TED talk hits, I'll I'll post that, and I put some you know other people's talks and lectures and podcasts and things that I that I like, um, and some links to the people that I get information from because right. you know I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not an expert in everything, so I I defer to different people, different experts sure. for for advice. Yeah,
0: good. So. Well, but I imagine you also will do uh, consultation and you have coaching and all the information will be on your website. So yeah, yeah, um, yep. folks, if, if you if you're having trouble, like if you're really <laughs> suffering from sleep issues, then reach out to Doc and uh, see if there's a way that he can help you out because that is utterly critical uh, to get this dialed in. Um, it's super <laughs> important. I often say that you know, the, the the foundation for living a good life is what we put in our body, the food we fuel ourselves with sleep and training, right? Yep. And on top of all that, you can build a pretty, pretty solid, uh,
1: life. So. Yeah. And then your, your, you know, your unbeatable mind stuff is, is the other aspect I add to that. You know, you have, you have to be able to control right. your thoughts, emotions, and, and mind to be able to relax yourself and you know the mindfulness aspect of it. You get those four things in order you you live the you you live the dream but yeah. uh if it, but none of that comes in a pill That's right. No. <laughs> you you've got to, you've got to do the work to do no. all of it. That's, Everyone's that's,
0: looking for the pill and that's yeah. that's a weak mind right there so they they don't have it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So thanks very much Kirk. I really appreciate uh your time and I certainly look forward to seeing you at the Unbeatable Mind Retreat in December where you'll be uh giving a presentation. Yeah. I'm but,
1: sure will rival your TED talk. Yeah. Uh, I I look forward to that as well. Hopefully it won't be raining this year. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, we'll that was we'll crazy. have a little more space, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was
0: crazy lecture, year, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. But a good event. I, I do look forward to it. And uh, I like, I look forward to hearing the other lectures there too. Yeah. In our lab, so.
0: Likewise. Okay. but yeah. Well, it's well, uh, once again, thanks. Thanks for your time. I'm sure everyone else uh, who's listening appreciates it and they'll reach <laughs> out if they need some help and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Mark. Oh, yeah.
0: You take care. All right, folks. All right, uh, out here we're going to move on uh we'll see you next week uh until then train hard stay safe have fun and whoa
1: lucky love boys Time to the boys make sure you get home boys stick out to back the pride of the fleet the bright swinging frog man over to you train